Good morning. You guys can be seated. And as you're seated, children, you can be released for Children's Church. So thank you guys so much for joining us this morning as today we're actually going to be concluding our series that we've been going through in August entitled Lessons from the Waiting Room. But before we dive into that, I kind of have two quick announcements just to to make you aware of. The first is today after the service, we're going to be having our partners meeting. Now, again, I mentioned this last week, partners, we use synonymous with members. It's those who have made a, a commitment to this particular local congregation to walk with and alongside uh, together as we follow Jesus. And so if you are a partner, I would encourage you to, we're going to take about a 10 minute break after the service and then come back in here uh, for that meeting. It's going to be a time where we talk about by God's grace, where we've been since our last meeting in January. And then according to God's will, where we hope to go in the coming four or five months. And so if you're a partner, I would encourage you, please stay for that. If you're not a partner, but that's something you're considering, this is an open meeting. You're welcome to join us and stay for that. The other thing I want to let you know is next week, we are going to be starting a new 12-week series in the Minor Prophets. Now, the Minor Prophets are not just like minor, like they're the lesser of the prophets. They're the shorter. They use less words. They're the smaller of the the books, but they have a powerful message that challenges the the status quo, that a lot of times when we think of the prophets, we think of the judgment that it speaks, and and that's true. It does. It challenges that, but it also speaks profound hope, and it's this call to return to God, and so in this coming series, we're going to be doing something a little different, where we're going to be studying one book every week, so how that's going to look, I don't know. We're going to figure it out together. Next week, we're going to, I want to also study the minor prophets, not as they appear in the Bible, but in chronological order. My hope is that that helps us put those books in their historical context to understand its original meaning as we seek to apply it today. And so what I want to encourage you to do in the coming weeks, and I had a bookmark that did not come from the printer in time, is to read the book ahead of time. So next Sunday, we're going to be doing the book of Amos. I would encourage you to read or listen to the book of Amos. They're not very long prior to Sunday, because when it comes time to preach, I'm not going to be able to read the whole book. But I want there to be, for you to be familiar with its message as we talk through it and hear what God has for us in that time. So there's resources. You'll see that in the worship guide. There's a QR code. There's some other resources we've put together for this coming series, but it's something I'm excited to walk through together as a church family. So today, we're continuing in Lessons from a Waiting Room. This is something that has been personal to me that you've heard me share about in in the past weeks, Um, what this has been for me and being in critical care for, with my dad who suffered a life-threatening repercussions from open heart surgery and he was in critical care for 30 days in the hospital for over 50. And it was teetering on that life and death. And it's been what God has shown me personally in that time from his word. This isn't something that's just in the past. This isn't something like, oh, this was just something that happened in the summer and now I'm here. The reality is on Monday, my dad was back in the emergency room. He spent the week in the hospital. He's been diagnosed with congestive heart failure in the 
the complications from that. There's texts that are continuing with my family uh, as we continue to seek to care and pray for my dad. This is a present weight uh, that walking through, that's my story. The reality is you have your own weight, your own pains that, that you're carrying that may be similar or may be different. And my hope in this series has been that we would know the truth of God's word in the midst of our pain, in the midst of those low moments of life. Where is God? What is there to be learned? And <clears throat> that's been my heart through the series, that it kind of began with life is fragile. Like the scripture says over and over again, life's a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. There, there's wisdom for us to learn by carefully numbering our days. And that we, you've heard me say that, that God draws near the brokenhearted is what scripture says. And he doesn't just draw near in silence, but in presence. He's present with us. He knows our pain because he's felt it, but even more than just knowing, it says that he carries our sorrows. And in exchange for our pain, he offers us his peace, a peace that was purchased as he laid down his life and rose from the dead, offering life that extends beyond the grave, beyond the here and now, a hope that is eternal. And then last week, that there's meaning in the mundane. There's meaning in the everyday aspects of life. Like today is a gift. If life is a vapor and we're not guaranteed tomorrow and we know that God has a purpose, a plan for today, in this moment, however mundane, however meaningless it may seem, however insignificant the moments of your day may seem, the reality is that God has a plan and purpose that is unfolding, that is part of this everlasting life that's been promised. Where I want to conclude today is the reality that others are suffering as well. What this looked like in my own life is for a month, it felt like we were living in the waiting room of critical care. 29 days, it was taking the elevator to the third floor, walking back this long hallway to find this empty room, seemingly what felt like unmarked in this back corner. There was a, this entrance that was almost hidden that had a buzzer with a camera on it where they had to verify your identity to let you back and they were limiting who could go back and how many at one time because of COVID. And it was during that time, and you just learn this rhythm every day, feels like Groundhog Day, what was the, the joke we made. But then over time, there was one moment where this elderly lady was walking back, and she was obviously lost. She didn't know. You see her looking up and down the hallway. Where do I go? And so I went out, and I met her, and heard that she needed to come into the same place where we were, and, and helped her get back to see her husband. Later, I saw her come out and she's looking back up and down the hallway again because grief makes it hard to process other information, directions being one of those. And so I walked with her back to the elevators and heard her story. They were just at a concert, her and her husband, walking in the, the, the park, going from the concert to go get something to eat when he started to have chest pains. And then, and then he collapsed and two men ran up and they started doing something. An ambulance was called. He was brought here. And now she doesn't know what's going to happen. In the days that followed, I 
talked with her and finally heard he wasn't going to make it. As she wept, there was others that I could talk about in the waiting room. John and his father and his siblings are trying to discuss and disagree in the, this context of pain. What do we do for dad? There's pain that was all around, that knowing nod when there was a room full of people around the bed and you know that this is it because it breaks all the COVID rules. But when death is at the door, the rules don't matter. It's to come say goodbye. We've been there. We know that place. We know that feeling. And it was that silent nod of acknowledged pain between people. This is what I want us to understand this morning, that pain often wants to isolate us. It wants to make us feel like we're on an island. But the reality is there is comfort to be received when we are in pain. And there is comfort to be given through our pain. This is what I want us to feel the beauty and weight of this morning, that there is comfort that we receive from God in the midst of our pain. But there is also a comfort that we are called then to display and give to others through our pain. And so let's pray. We'll read God's word and dive in. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, together, to rejoice together, to mourn together, Lord, but to ultimately celebrate the name of Jesus Christ that you are, as we will hear, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Lord, this is who you are. Let our eyes be lifted up above our circumstances, above our pain this morning, to see you for who you really are. Lord, let us know and experience the reality of who you are this morning and lead our hands and feet and mouths in faithfulness to, to demonstrate your comfort to others who are hurting. Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This feels as simple and straightforward as we can get, right? Like if we just walk through these verses together, in the morning. Let's just hear what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Just consider what that means, that God doesn't just show us comfort. It's not like comfort in God exist separate from one another. It says that he's the Father, the author of mercies. He is the God of comfort. It's who he is. He has written it. He has created it. He is the God of mercies. Comfort originates with God. His character writes what comfort is. The nature, disposition, character of God is mercy and comfort. 
why is this important? It can kind of be like, okay, so what's the point? Because I want us to see when it says that God comforts us, it's not just saying what he does, but how he does it and who he is as he comforts us. Like if we go back to an illustration I used last week, right? Imagine it's you outside of Publix in the Florida heat and you have no money on you. You're just outside and you're immediately drenched in sweat, right? Dehydrated, dizzy, needing water, and someone is walking out carrying water and you ask them, can I please have something to drink? And they kind of do that teenage sigh, like, ugh. Like you're a complete inconvenience. Your existence is now annoying them that you're present and that you are asking them and invading their time and space. And they're like, fine. And they kind of throw a bottle of water at you. Here you go. Okay, same situation. Imagine someone comes alongside you and you're like, can I please have something to drink? And they come over beside you and put your, their hand on your shoulder and they lead you to some shade and they sit down with you and they unscrew the water bottle and give it to you and they're talking with you. Now they have both done something, have they not? They've both given you water. But how they did that, the, the character with which they did it was completely different. This is what I want us to see in who God is as he cares for us. <clears throat> this is why I believe it's so important that we understand the character and disposition of God towards those who are hurting. It's not just that God shows us comfort reluctantly, throwing a water bottle in our direction, but it's how he does it, who he is in the midst of it. That if we realize you're not an inconvenience to God, you aren't a nuisance, you're not a problem to solve a squeaky wheel that's just needing some grease. Do you ever feel that way? Like, oh, here I am again. He's probably annoyed with me by now. I feel like I've come to him every day. Like, he has to be tired of this. He has to be huffing. But that's not who God is. It's not just that he comforts us reluctantly. But it, he's the father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. If there be any comfort, it comes from God. If there be any mercy, it has been written by God. Consider that for a moment. Who God is. God's disposition toward you, not just what he does, but his disposition to you is one of mercy and comfort. As if the mercy you receive was written by God himself, because it was. As if the comfort you received was, was authored by God himself, because it was. Like, that's the reality of these simple words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And that this is who God is, that he would direct this toward you. Like, let the, the reality of that even hit us, that this is who God is. That's beautiful. That's amazing in and of itself. But then that he would direct that Toward us, he comforts us. This God of, of mercies, this God of all comfort, 
He is the one who comforts us in all affliction. In this comfort that we ourselves receive, it says later on in verse 4, we receive from God himself. What an amazing, amazing reality. When you're hurting, when you're broken, God gives us himself. That is the comfort. Because he is comfort and he is mercy, the way in which he comforts us is by giving us himself. God draws near the brokenhearted. We've, we've read in weeks past in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. That in any difficulty, any suffering, any anguish, any pain, when life hurts, when it's pressing in and heavy on your heart, the God of comfort and mercy draws near. It's who he is. And we receive comfort from him, his comfort, his mercy we receive from God. What we didn't have, we now have. Like what an amazing, amazing truth that we receive from God what was otherwise denied us, peace, rest, hope, comfort, mercy, things we did not have, we now have because of him. But who cares? Why does that matter? What's the the point of it all? That if God is mercy and he is comfort in character and disposition, that okay, so he comforts us, what's the point? Why make such a big deal about that? Isn't it obvious? Not always. Sometimes in the midst of pain, we forget these truths. Sometimes we feel like that squeaky wheel, that nuisance that God reluctantly cares about. But that is not true. And we need to be reminded that he is compassionate and merciful in comforts. And it's important that we understand that the comfort we receive comes from God. Because sometimes the purpose and plan that God has for us in both the pain and the comfort we receive is so that through that pain and through the comfort that he gives us, we might be a comfort to others in the same way. And this is where it begins to hit more deeply. That not only is God the God of comfort and is God the God of mercy and that he comforts us in our affliction but now it says when others are suffering and they are it says so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction not just affliction not just things that are similar not just when people go through the exact same situation that you went through but if you have received comfort from God for whatever your situation whatever your pain was and now you see somebody else that's hurting and maybe their situation's different their pain is different but you have received something from God you have received comfort through a compassionate merciful God it says now extend that same thing with the same disposition to those who are hurting. Because through the comfort that we have received, we give. Those who are in any kind of suffering. Imagine for a moment, 
Like, look around the room. Imagine everyone in here was hurting. Everyone. And, and we're in that place of pain where it's heavy. And then, let's say, I, I'm trying to think of who I can pick on. Jeremy, I'm going to pick on you. <laughs> we were talking beforehand. God comforts Jeremy in his pain, in his loss. Jeremy now has peace instead of just that pain. There's been restoration of what's been broken. There's been joy and gladness instead of sorrow. Something has been received. Something has changed because God has drawn near in his pain. Does the story end there? Is that the end of it? Is the end of our pain merely to be comforted? No. There is an additional aspect as to why. That's why those words are so important. So that we have received from God something of himself so that we may be a comfort to others. And so now Jeremy looks around and he sees others who are hurting. What's he to do? You're like, sorry for you guys. I'm good. No, it says, now see those who are hurting, even though their pain may be different. And so then Jeremy comes alongside someone and, and brings comfort and expression of who God is, what he has experienced now being displayed to somebody else. And in that way, he is the hands and feet of the Savior demonstrating a mercy and a comfort that only comes from God because he is the author and creator of mercy and comfort, right? So when we demonstrate that to somebody else, now they are experiencing the reality of the gospel in their life. And now there's two people who have experienced healing and wholeness because of the gospel. And now they look out and they reach out and it multiplies. This is what we are called to. This is the life of the believer, of the, the mercy that we both receive, but the awareness of the mercy that we extend to others. Because again, too often what happens is when we're in the middle of pain, it can be easy to in that waiting room to just sit there and only be aware of our own problems because they don't go away. They're there. But then you're going to see someone else walking by and you see that expression, you see that look, you see that pain in the eyes, the bewilderedness that something's wrong and I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And do you sit there in your own pain? Or do you go up and say, I've been there. I know that feeling and you're not alone. This is the comfort that we're called to extend. that we're called to comfort others. It's a mindset. It's a reality that my prayer is that we would consider how God has comforted us and that we would consider how God might use us to then comfort others. I wanna kinda close with two applications. What do we do with this? It's like I said, I feel like these verses are as clear as they get. Right? It's pretty just straightforward. Look at what it says. This is God's word. It's true. And so let me ask these two questions in response. The first is this. How have you received mercy and comfort from God? 
Think of your story, the brokenness, the times when you've cried out. Think of how God drew near to you in your brokenness, who he used, what he used in those moments. How have you received mercy from God? Don't just take it for granted. Don't just assume it. Like there was something in here to rejoice in, to celebrate that I feel like was in the song we just sang. Like of God's mercies that we rejoice in. He has been good to us. How have you personally experienced God's mercy and comfort? A pastor, while I was up north with my family, while we were sitting in the waiting room, we were in the middle of everything, he looked at me, he goes, you'll never do hospital visits the same, will you? And I was like, not a chance. Not a chance. There is a depth of brokenness and an increasing depth of comfort that was received that has left me different than I was before when I heard stories of someone who has lost a parent, someone who has spent long days in the hospital that I didn't understand until I've walked through this. I pray that this makes me a better pastor, a better shepherd, a better comforter to those who mourn. I pray that in those moments when you find yourself sitting in the waiting room, that you would feel comfortable to invite me to come sit beside you in that moment. There is something that has been tasted of God in the midst of those moments that aren't just for me. And they're not just for you in the ways that you have tasted of God's comfort and mercy. I think we need to take the time to recount, to recall, to remember, to celebrate God's faithfulness to us in the midst of our individual journeys. He is glorified in that. And then to ask the question, who is hurting around me and how am I called to help comfort them? Lift your eyes from your own story. Lift your eyes from your own brokenness and consider who is hurting around you. Don't let God's comfort end there. It is through you, through the comfort you have received that he chooses then to express his comfort to others. Who's hurting around you and how are you being called, invited to come alongside? Who is that? What does it look like to deliver the same comfort we've received? See, sometimes I think comfort can be reduced to just throwing something at somebody's feet and say, hope you feel better. I'll pray for you and walking away. But think of how God has comforted us. The cost, the relational side, the father of mercies, the God of all comfort that has come alongside us to great cost. As Christ laid down his life to pay for our brokenness, to bring us peace, that we too as believers then are called to lay down our lives 
in the service of others, to lay down our comforts, to lay down our personal preferences, to lay down our agendas for the day, to sit next to the person who's hurting, to walk alongside them is what it actually means literally in the original language of comforter in who God is. He comes alongside. Who's hurting? But more than that, how are we called to give comfort? It's the comfort that you've received and whatever that that has looked like. But the how I want to encourage you is not just going to be a simple demonstration, but it will be costly because it was costly to Christ. And he calls us then to walk in that same manner with others because in this, the name of Jesus is lifted high. He is glorified because comfort and mercy come from God. And so when we demonstrate it to those who are hurting, it is ultimately the name of Jesus that is being proclaimed. Let's pray.